Hello, and welcome to Texas State Choirs Today. My name is Jonathan Babcock. I'm the Associate Director of Choral Activities at Texas State and also the host for this podcast. I'm very excited to have with us today Dr. Michael Barrett, who teaches at the University of Pretoria in South Africa, where he conducts the Tux Camerata. Welcome. Thank you, Jonathan. How are you doing, Michael? So wonderful to be here, and uh, you're welcome. I brought wonderful weather for you here to Texas. Well, thank it's you, because somebody outside. needed you. It's been very, very <laughs> ugly outside the past week or so. You know, they call it sunny South Africa for a reason, so I brought some sunniness for you. So. Perfect. Is there? Can you mail it to us on a regular basis? We'll show you. Whatever you like. Thank you. Oh, I like that answer even better. So most of our listeners are undergraduates. So I'd like to start off just hearing about your undergraduate career or your academic career and any standout things that could happen. All right. Well, I, um, uh, I've always been into music. My mother taught me to play the piano and to sing. And uh, when I was very young, I was sent to the Drakensberg Boys Choir, which is pretty much equivalent to the Vienna Boys Choir or your old American Boy Choir. I actually, when I was in the school, we came to the States and we performed with the then American Boy Choir. And it was oh. such a beautiful you know, kind of synergy between the two two groups. Um, and when I was uh, in high school, um, we could specialize in music in, in high school. Um, so for three years, I studied voice and music theory and, uh, and piano. Um, and then I went to the University of Pretoria, the university where I now am fortunate enough to teach. Oh, and, I, and I did my undergraduate degree in, uh, uh, or a BMAS, Bachelor of Music, as we call it. And I specialized, I actually wanted to become an opera singer. Um, and I finished my degree in, you know, in vocal training and that. And uh, I, when I went on to my graduate degree or my graduate degrees and that, I realized I wasn't good enough as a singer, or at least not an opera singer. And um, I followed my second passion, which was choral conducting. And yep, and I've done all of those studies and that. And now I'm very privileged to be working at the University of Pretoria as, as you know, director of choral activities there. That must be really special to be back teaching your alma mater. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think one of the most beautiful things is obviously the main part of my my job is the university choir, the Tux Camerata, and um, the three conductors before me were all alumni of the choir. So the traditions have just been carried over from from one to the next, and um, and that's a really beautiful thing because the choir is full of tradition, and those traditions have been able to continue because they have hired alumni of the choir. So I hope that one day when when I need to move on and go to greener pastures or whatever the case might be, that the next person will also be able to carry over the traditions and hopefully be one from our own ranks. Sure, absolutely. You'd want to keep that going. Uh, tell us, you mentioned the uh, traditions that the choir had. Could you tell us a little bit about the traditions or about the, the choir as a whole and its Ab- history? Absolutely. So uh, the choir is 50, uh, oh, 55 years old this year. So it's been going on long before my time. And uh, I mean, there are so many beautiful traditions. For example, we, um, at the end of every concert, the choir would stand in a massive circle wherever the venue is. And we sing this traditional song, which is pretty much giving thanks for all the blessings that we have in our life. And we sing in three languages because it's the three official languages of um, our university, which is English, Afrikaans, and uh, Sepedi. Um, and it's called Golden Moments because we share these golden moments with one another. And it just reminds us to be thankful. So that would be one of the traditions. Another one of the traditions that we have is, this is quite a fun one, when we invite new members to the choir for the very, very first rehearsal, we hand out 
the most difficult music that we had from the previous year that we've studied and we hand it out and then we pretend like we're sight reading <laughs> so that the new members all look exceptionally, exceptionally confused in that and they feel kind of overwhelmed and I I'm quite serious and I say, guys, remember the piano in bar 72, just make sure the anacrusis here is tight and that and all the new members, you should see the look on their faces. And of course, then we all burst out laughing. But we carry on with these traditions because it's that camaraderie that really makes a choir really special. And I think all of us choir people know it's not just about singing a chord in tune, but it's about being the chord and sharing it with people that you love. It sounds like it's a real family, a a real Huge family. I really miss them being here, you know, and I, I, I'm WhatsApping them while I'm here and staying in contact with them to make sure that they're all okay. And because we have concerts when I get back. And so, yeah, I look forward to go back and I, I, I cannot return without buying something like American chocolate, or, which I suppose has to be something with peanut butter in it because you put peanut butter in your chocolate, which we don't. So, Oh, uh, then you have to bring that back. That's the perfect <laughs> thing. I think they'll thing. love that. Yeah. What kind of repertoire do you perform with the choir? So the choir specializes in uh, contemporary um, uh, or newly composed contemporary music or from the choral canon, as we call it, uh, Western and European. And then, of course, we do traditional South African music, which is one of our specialties at the University of South Africa. We, we for a long time, have created um, or really kind of focused on traditional South African music so that the choir, which was mainly in Afrikaans or was a full Afrikaans choir when I was studying so that the choir is a home for all students. So we reach out. We don't just do Afrikaans music anymore. We do, you know, music that choirs. We try to kind of stay up uh, up to date with music that's being published here in the States and in Europe so that we stay relevant, always testing the boundaries of new music. But at the same time, we create new arrangements of, of traditional music that we could share with people here and obviously abroad through our various social media platforms. And the... I think you'll agree that the, the students need to be reminded and taught their their, their legacy, both musically and uh, socially. But it's wonderful to keep that repertoire yeah. moving and alive. Absolutely. And I mean, we, we often have conversations about, I mean, the, the traditional African music is so important because it's documenting our history and our culture and that. And we haven't been doing that for a, for a very long time. Um, so I think that's really kind of important to us as as acquirers that we're creating new and um, accessible arrangements, not just for us to share, but for people across the world to share in the fun of singing South African music, because there isn't a lot of it. So um, we're working really hard to to change that so people can enjoy music from from our country. Wonderful. We can't wait to hear them sometime when you bring them to the United States. Oh, I'm <laughs> hoping that'll be soon. Excellent. I was just about to say... Uh, do you have any tours going on? I know you tour often. Do you have any coming up? So uh, we've just uh, come back from the UK. So we did a wonderful tour of the UK. And we actually had one of yours with us, Jake Runestad. He um, mm-hmm. he traveled with us for two weeks. We did a commission with him and he conducted the choir. And uh, we performed with the acclaimed Voces 8 ensemble. And that was nice. truly life-changing for us. And then we did a huge amount of concerts throughout the UK. Um, so our next tour will be in, in 2025 internationally. We The rest of the time we travel within South Africa and our borders for financial reasons, obviously. And we are really hoping, and I'm crossing my fingers for all the listeners out there, we're really hoping it works for us to come to the States in 2025. That's that's our kind of plan and that. It's just all depends on finances because uh, obviously the States is really expensive and really mm. far for us. So, um, But we're working hard at it and hopefully that will happen. Where have you gone in the past? Uh, with our choirs, I'm um, all over. I mean, we do Europe quite a lot. Um, obviously, again for financial reasons, because mm-hmm. it's straight up. We've done lots of tours throughout Africa, and we love the Baltic countries: uh, Estonia, Lithuania, um, 
and uh, uh, we've never done the Scandinavian countries. I don't think anybody can afford going to yeah, Scandinavia. Uh, we did Spain a couple of years ago. That was wonderful. We um, were lucky enough to perform or privileged enough to perform at the International Federation of Choral Music, the World Choral Symposium. Um, and we've done, um, oh, I mean, we've done Kenya, we've done Egypt, uh, wow. we've done the UK. So, yeah, we've done, we've done quite a bit. And, and taking young people on tours like that certainly has effects on them. What have you seen from the time that they go on the tours that they come back? Oh. What, do they, what have they gained? So I'm a huge believer, and I have a kind of like a saying that if you want a child to remember where the Eiffel Tower is, you have to take them to Paris. Um, and I mean, that's just a small analogy for how important touring is. It really opens up our minds. I, I wish everybody was able to do it and did it more, those that were able to, because it really sh- it opens up the world for us. And I think we, we, we form a real appreciation for people that are different and, and, and how countries act differently and work differently. Um, one of the most beautiful things is we, we have immense poverty in South Africa and the Kamarata is no, no different. But we have a policy in the choir that either everybody goes on tour or nobody goes on tour. So we make ways to find for students and it could be as much as sponsoring 100% of a tour for students that really, really can't afford it. And I mean, in the last tour, when we went to the UK, there were a large number that had never been on a plane before, let alone overseas. And just to one of the students I remember asked me, um, because I explained to them, you're going to get onto the plane, please don't lose your passport and this is your lifeline. And of course, explain to them how serious these things are. Um, and that, you know, when you get food on the plane or drinks, and one of the students said, how much does it cost to eat on the plane? And I had to explain, it's, it's included. You, 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 can, you can just, they'll bring it to you and you can eat it. Yeah, but how much must we pay? So I said, no, it's, it's, well, it's not free, but it's been taken care of. So you can have drinks and you can have something to eat. And another story, when I saw one of the students looking up at Tower Bridge when we were in London, he was filled with such emotion in his eyes and that, and he just felt that he was, he, he said he was touched by God. It was just such a beautiful experience. And I think it's stuff that, I mean, I never take it for granted. Even being here in the States, and I've been here several times before, I, I recognize how much of a privilege it is to be here and to be in this line of work, but also to be able to give it to students that might never get this opportunity again, because the university is a, I mean, we, we, we protect our own in that. But after they leave the university, I mean, I don't know where they go in their lives. I hope that they will make great careers out of it. So... It really is very, very special. And like you say, I see those students, they are changed. Um, I think it comes from Wicked, changed for the better. You know, they sure, changed for absolutely. the better. Absolutely, and that doesn't go away. You, like you said, you have a greater awareness of the world when we only see the world on television. That's not what it really is, and we need to show them we're all kind of the same. Oh, absolutely. just I mean, doing the best we can. Absolutely, and we all want the same things. I mean, mm-hmm. we all just want a good life. We want prosperity. We want health care. We want kindness. It doesn't change where you go. I mean, we might just eat different food and, you know, have different terms. I mean, you call it traffic lights or, or whatever you call it. We call it robots. So a traffic light is a robot in South Africa. So, and, and that's just cool to learn. Of course it, it is. To have that experience of learning these things that you would have never guessed. People often ask us, why do we call it robots? I have no clue why we call it robots. But uh, I mean, there are many kind of uh, such analogies. I mean, every time I work with the choirs, I have to remember here in the States, I can't talk about crotchets and semiquavers and hemi-demi-semiquavers. I've got to talk about half steps and and. Uh, whole notes and things like that, which, by the way, makes way more sense than our <laughs> terminology that we have to learn. But we follow the British system, so that's pretty much. But it's fun, like you say. And you're really 
getting across the idea that these tours are so much more about organization and fundraising. The music comes along later, <laughs> but it's all so much work to put those tours together. Jonathan, you know as much as me, for all the undergraduate students in the conducting is very little about the conducting. It's more about all the admin that goes around it. I mean, there's just so much to our professions that people don't see. You know, we stand on stage and people think we just wave our arms around. <laughs> Um, oh, if only. <laughs> if only it was that easy. Or if if only a score was just in our heads. I don't think people really, you know, understand how much it takes us to get that score as part of us. I mean, even students only see us getting to the rehearsal. They don't know all the steps that's that's gone before that. So, undergrads, if you're listening, go study your music. Go repertoire study, repertoire study. <laughs> exactly. Thank Research, you for that. It's Thank important. you for that very much. <laughs> well, besides being conductor, you're also... A composer, a regular composer. Could you uh, tell us a little about what you're composing now and what what you've done in the past? So um, I write exclusively. I, I I must be honest. I don't really consider myself as a composer, although I have over forty, you know, published compos- uh, compositions internationally. I really actually see myself as a conductor first, and I compose purely to create music for the camarata, whether there's a gap in there. Uh, repertoire that year or if I create new traditional works and that and for me it's really important we, we're not preserving our cultural history in South Africa especially not our traditional history and that's largely um, entrenched in our our past with apartheid and the fact that a lot of our people were not allowed the same access to education so we are still have a backlog of people that are able to notate music from you know our largely african cultures and that and those that are going to schools and that they're not studying music because they're studying to become lawyers or doctors or what their parents and their families believe is a a more secure profession and i and i really understand that but this it's so sad because we have such talent in south africa and that talent is not being really put towards music so as a result we have a real shortage of music that's being notated and um and that is a problem because if we don't notate the stuff and we don't uh, create these arrangements and that, we, I mean, we might forget them. Um, and that's pretty much where my focus of my research is, my compositions, is to create beautiful arrangements of um, South African folk songs. Um, and I've been very privileged that it's gone very well. And I've, of course, I do a lot of research into it and write it purely for the camarata. They then perform it and then choirs all over South Africa. And I've been very blessed internationally perform them so i am currently working on a new one called Inkosi Namantla, which is god of strength and um, something that i'm very passionate about at the moment because we have serious challenges in south africa at the moment politically and service delivery and and we really are struggling as a country i know a lot of countries are and this is kind of like a prayer to give us strength during these difficult times and it's really resonating with the choir so it'll probably be out towards the middle of the year and uh, i'm really looking forward to to that being published. I can't wait to hear it. I'm curious, you had said a moment ago that uh, students weren't getting their folk music or that they weren't getting to hear about their culture. say the same thing about the United States, that we're losing that culture. We're losing that idea. You know, when I travel to other countries 
and I visit families or I just hear families in the street, everybody sings. Everybody sings together. But that's not the not what we have here. A lot of people, it, it it's for professional people and professionals only. So I'm first of all, I'm wondering if if it's somewhat of the same uh, problem there. You had mentioned apartheid, of course, which is history. We have not exactly the same thing, but we have our own dark history. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, and that we, in the same way, if we could cover with spirituals and gospel. Uh, music if you could just add a little to that so so we um so so when i said we're not preserving our history we're we're definitely from a culture point of view we're definitely singing a lot um but south africans generally sing a lot it's it's really ingrained in our culture we're just not we're not it's not in the same focus as you have here in the states here you're very privileged to have singing in schools and universities and that whereas we do not have that in in south africa singing is completely voluntary so even the tux camarata has no music students in it it's not a it's not a choir for music students they're all just students at the university they study medicine engineering most of them can't sight read they they've many of them sang in their high schools so they've got that kind of experience But in terms of singing and and preserving culture, from that point of view, we definitely have a lot of people singing. Um, we just don't have people taking those songs that are so important to us, whether it's Shosha Loza or that, and actually creating arrangements for it so that we've got it documented. Because if people stop singing Shosha Loza tomorrow or in 10 years or in 20 years' time, we won't have reference to to this music. Um, and it's one thing to say, yes, but I mean, people are never going to stop singing Shosha Loza and that. We don't know. I mean, we've seen cultures that have diluted all over the world that that don't exist anymore because we haven't taken the time to create artifacts in history. And that's what arrangements are. They are really artifacts of, of our culture. So I think the singing is still very much there. Um, but definitely um, we need to kind of notate this. And also what, what notating does is it allows choirs like, like yours here in the States to be able to perform traditional music. And that's what we want to do. I mean, we love singing the spiritual because it's so connected to our history. Um, I mean, slavery still exists today. We just don't necessarily call it that, but it just, it genuinely does. I truly believe that people working for minimum wage, especially in a country like mine, that is slavery because nobody should work for so little money to struggle to get by when they are working, you know, really hard um, in, a, in an industry that might not be deemed important. Um, so we have a very strong connection and a very similar history to you you here in the States. I mean, we called it apartheid, you called it slavery. It was really kind of like the same thing. Um, it was kind of creating or keeping a certain culture at, at bay. And I mean, we need to remember that because otherwise we will, we will forget and lest we forget. Just staying with the apartheid topic just a while longer, how much music grew out of that or, or uh, speaks to uh, apartheid? Oh, I mean, of my music or music in general? Just music in general. Oh, no, a lot. I mean, it, almost all the music, traditional music, whether it is sacred or praising Jesus, and that would be linked to apartheid in some kind of way because people would be singing songs of hope and of freedom and that so that they could really be reminded of a better tomorrow. And um, yeah, traditional music in general, I would say a large amount of it was definitely de- or definitely comes from from our past and that and that's why we sing it so much i mean even something like indordana which is probably my most um, performed work was kind of written with apartheid in mind although it was written in in 2014 2015 
it was written as a conversation between the students in my choir that are white and black. Now, it's not a traditional piece, but it's based on a traditional language and a traditional melody, but written in a Western style because the university choir was mainly white until I took it over and I created music that I believe bridges the cultural gap. You've got the best of traditional music and the best of Western styles combined in what I call South African music. And it really created a conversation between students that are different. And I keep writing those arrangements, hoping that those important conversations will keep taking place. Because if we stop talking about the things that matter most, that's when we create this wall between us. And that wall, I believe, is very dangerous in societies. Absolutely. The, the way the students, and I'm sure you don't have to set up these conversations, they just go to each other. Na they're naturally curious. Oh, absolutely. And, and just putting them together makes them learn from each other. Oh, absolutely. And students are really good at talking a lot. So if you <laughs> just provide them with the content to talk about, they will. And in South Africa, it's, it's slightly different, I feel, and I, I purely speak from an outsider's point of view. In South Africa, we, we talk about our problems. I mean, we hit it head on. Where I find sometimes here it might... You know, it might be best not to talk about certain things because, I mean, it just we don't want to cause problems or it might not be allowed um, or it's, it's you know, you need to be politically correct. But in South Africa, we're not like that. We really, and I mean, it's not always a good thing. We mm. can really sometimes say things we shouldn't be saying and it causes arguments and fight. But there's always an underlying reason why people bring up these topics. And once they're brought out into the open in that, I mean, at least we can hit it head on. We know what the issues are. We can talk about them and hopefully find a solution. There aren't always solutions. And sometimes we navigate for a long time. And that's, I think, where South Africa is at the moment. We really are trying to find an identity which we can call truly our own in that. So we are navigating. We really are. And hopefully we will continue to navigate in a positive way to make a better South Africa for all. That sounds fantastic. Thank you for that. What a great answer. Getting back to music a little bit, tell us a little bit, who who is your favorite composer and music? Who could you... <laughs> Those are always such tough questions in that. But um, <laughs> as, a, as a young boy, I grew up singing Palestrina. So, I mean, if there's just something so beautiful about Palestrina. I think it was when I walked into the Drakensberg Boys Choir, I had to literally dodge horses to get into the music hall. Um, I mean, that's, and it was a little hall in those days. And the horses were in there because I lived, it's like a farm school in the, in the mountains. It's just so beautiful. And I remember getting in and I got the score with all these lines. It was six parts. It was Tu es Petrus by Palestrina. And I mean, it was, I didn't know what Italian was. I didn't know who Palestrina was. I didn't know how to pronounce it. I didn't know what these notes were. And the choir just started singing. And of course, I mean, many of them had been singing for years in the school. I was eight years old and it just, I was just in awe and confused and everything. And I think I have a real affinity to Palestrina and polyphonic lines and that. I mean, from a genius point of view, I'm a huge, we say Bach, you say Bach. Um, here, I'm a huge Hans Sebastian Bach fan. I remember my student days and I would sit at the piano and I'd just play through Bach chorales. I just, I'm nerdy like that. I just love the way that he constructed the chords and broke all the rules, but it doesn't sound like he breaks the rules. Um, huge fan. Here in the States, uh, I'm a huge fan of Jake Runnerstad. I mm -hmm. love his music because I think it's it speaks to so many people and it's so accessible. I think it's really, really beautiful. I'm a huge fan of Stacey Gibbs. I think his spirituals are, um, are, are so, they connect so much to choirs all over the world. I mean, there, there's so many that, that I can mention, um, but yeah, those are the ones that, that jump to my mind. Um, straight away. So, I mean, I just, I absolutely love their music. And I'm a huge fan of composers from the Baltic countries. 
Peter Svasks is one of my favorite composers. Eschenwald, he's just been in South Africa. Great, great composer. So, I mean, there really are too many to count. But, uh, yeah, I love music from all over. And it's just always fun to put guests on the spot with a question like oh, that. Just, <laughs> oh, which is absolutely fantastic. That. And with that, I need to cut us loose. Thank you so much for joining us today, Richard. This has been really, really fun. Thank you also for joining us at Texas State Choirs today. I'm Jonathan Babcock, and I look forward to you listening again next time.